Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. The Minute, the Mad Max Minute, the Scrutinizers of Cinema, the Iconoclasts of Movies by Minute Podcasts. And we watch Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 31, which begins with Max and the Compound Dwellers watching the Horde approach, and it ends with the Lord Humongous expressing his disappointment. Good Monday morning, Julia. Happy Monday. The Horde is here. Yes. They started arriving on Friday. They are now pulling up, I assume, just out of weapon range. Probably. They they seem really smart. So, yeah. Dangerously capable, I think is a good way to describe them. Mm. And right front and center, of course, is the Lord Humongous and his customized truck with the victims hanging off the front, and you've got the toady riding up on the back, and it is one of the more unique vehicles in this movie, I'd say, because it is so heavily customized. The whole thing, according to the trivia section on the Mad Max wiki, basically says that it started life as a Ford F-Series chassis, and then they just kind of built on top of it. It's kind of assumed that all four of the rear wheels are powered, and you've got the, the two wheels in the front for six in total. And, of course, there's only really one real seat on that thing. Kind of the Lord Humongous's, I wouldn't say it's elaborate enough to be a throne, but you get the idea. I like the throne comparison. It is at the center of his people. It's where he makes declarations mm -hmm. and controls. I would say it's, it's exactly his throne. According to the wiki, the seat that he sits in is lined with Cowhide. The vehicle is equipped with a loudspeaker system, which we just got to see in action uh, a week or two ago, I think it was. Yeah, barely. I think we really first meet it here yeah. in the next few minutes. But the speakers are seated up on the roll bar behind the chair. Apparently there's a spoiler that we can't really see from this angle. I'm sure there's going to be other side angles where we're going to be able to better see this thing. At this point, it's where the toady is perched. The description goes on to say that it's very recognizable because of its six wheels. It also has two large chrome big rig style exhaust pipes and menacing bull bars on the front, which the prisoners are mounted to. And in the back, there are two 55-gallon tanks and a fuel pump. Two tridents and a mace are also installed along the side of the cap. Those big chrome exhaust pipes are going to come into play a bit later on down the movie once Max has his gasoline and is trying to get away. Wes uses one of those pipes in a rather creative way, so we're going to get to see that. The Humongous's truck also has a nitrous system that we're going to see in play further on down the way, something that rivals the system that Max has. That's really what I have from the wiki. We're going to see everything I listed in action later on in the movie, and of course there's probably going to be other little details that we notice as we go along. I have thoughts about the nitrous system, but it doesn't come into play right now, so I'll keep those for later. We're going to get to see that at least two or three times. All right. The Horde has arrived. They have stopped. We get to see Max 
standing up on the wall with the mechanic and the curmudgeon one more time. Back in amongst the horde, we see Wes dismount from his motorcycle and kind of lock eyes with Max, it looks like. Yeah, it kind of feeds into my thoughts uh, a while ago about this kind of unnatural obsession that they have with each other that we don't really know like how it started. Well, I think it started... Where they like keep running into each other and keep growing animosity towards each other. Well, you can definitely say it started when Wes tried to shoot Max and steal his car. Right, but we don't know why. There was no beginning to that relationship. When we joined the scene, the scene was already going. Mm -hmm. We don't know how it started. So you're kind of going back to the fact that in the screenplay, we get a setup of why Max is being chased, and we don't get that in the final movie? We don't get that in the final movie. So there's no like beginning to this this relationship that they have that just keeps like bringing them together and having more things that they have against each other and more reasons to dislike each other, but they always like see each other like eye to eye across great distances so this is the third time that max has seen wes because he saw him once at the big rig where they had their first initial stare down then max saw wes for while he was sitting up on the ridge and this is only the second time that wes is seeing max and so as he's getting off that bike he can see max standing there clear as day and he's probably thinking oh hey that's the guy from the big rig oh yeah so this is wes's opportunity to really recognize him and say oh hey i almost killed that guy the other day and now he's working with the compound people this is kind of weird yes whereas max this is the third time he's seen him and he's like oh yeah it's it's him again i feel like wes might be a little bit more curious about the situation than max is i think max definitely has more information from wes's point of view he doesn't know when max joined the compound he doesn't even know that at this point max is a prisoner of the compound right he can't see that he's handcuffed to the rail so he probably thinks that he may have been working for the compound the whole time right he and could he have been a scout. earlier scout that got away before uh, the horde even found the place and started attacking it which would be quite the unfortunate discovery for wes to make because they went through all of this effort to start stop all of these scouts and he's probably thinking holy cow if this guy that i didn't bother to kill the other day right turned out to be a scout he already knows where a giant rig is yeah wes knows where that truck is and max knows where that truck is and i don't know if wes is necessarily putting two and two together wes knows what the humongous knows and so wes knows that they're looking for a large vehicle right but did wes make the same connection that max made like oh wait i saw one of those right we're gonna get that realization i think sometime next week i haven't the faintest maybe the week after it's hard to say because i haven't prepped my notes that far yet right. <laughs> i get so wrapped up in the minute that i'm prepping that it's almost like nothing else exists yeah i think what's remarkable about max and wes is that they are able to have these little staring matches from such incredible <laughs> distances yes Wes is easy to spot, if not for his feather shoulder pads and his mohawk, his crazy eyes. Yeah. You can see those from a mile away. He has special eyes. He's got the best crazy eyes. Somebody, I think, on the Minute Makers Facebook site posted a picture from another movie of Vernon Wells, and I don't know what movie it was because it wasn't tagged or anything. There was no caption on it, where he was doing the same crazy eyes. Mm -hmm. And he was done up like costuming and makeup and everything was very different than Mad Max. And I almost didn't recognize Vernon Wells in the picture. Except for the crazy eyes. Yeah. As we switch back and forth between Max and Wes, we're getting a lot of engine noise from all of the vehicles that are surrounding the Lord Humongous. Our focus shifts 
to the toady. And he is doing pretty much what the toe cutter was doing back in the first movie when everyone came to a stop. He's waving his arm around, yep. signaling everyone to rev, and then he swipes his arm to the side and everyone falls silent. Yes. I really love that they pulled that from the first movie. It was a great scene in the first movie. Watching, you know, anytime you watch a group of people work together, it's great, even mm. if they're bad people. <laughs> but, you know, watching everybody follow the signal so closely is a lot of fun. Yeah. I did note that the Lord Humongous needs a toady, needs somebody to do that signal for him, needs a hype man. And Toe Cutter didn't. Well, you could argue that the Toe Cutter wasn't running as big of an operation. That is true. He was doing a much smaller, some would argue, grassroots size movement <laughs> out there on the road. The mm -hmm. Lord Humongous is a bit more established. He's got a much more definitive brand. Having someone like the Toady around can lay the groundwork. It's like when you watch A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger and Paul Bettany and Wash from Firefly and Robert Baratheon from Game of Thrones. That's Man, that's a good cast. Yeah. William von Lichtenstein or whatever they I think that's his make name. up the name for him. <laughs> he doesn't necessarily need Chaucer. Will has all of the experience jousting and proving himself in the competitions of knighthood, but he brings Chaucer onto the team because Chaucer whips up the crowd. He gets the crowd on Will's side. He inspires in the people watching a certain feeling before Will even steps onto the field. That's really what the toady is here for, to create this grand feeling in the people that the Lord Humongous is going to address. Togutter didn't need that. Togutter wasn't interested in building himself up in the minds of the people that he he was going to terrorize because he was just in it for the lols, so to speak. We're dealing with a much different villain. Yes, I agree with everything you just said. And I wonder, because in The Knight's Tale, the first time that Chaucer goes in ahead of William and does his introduction, and it's I mean, it's amazing. It's one of the best scenes of that movie. It's a great movie. It's one of the best scenes. He's kind of doing the same thing that the Toady does later, a little bit later on in this minute. He's coming up with these titles mm -hmm. that are kind of off topic. Yeah. Like one of them was the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla. That makes absolutely no sense in the context of the okay. Lord Humongous. And it's delightful. But before we get to that, the Toady has signaled all of the engines to stop and we get a couple of shots of raiders exiting their vehicles and kind of standing around. This first shot we get, we get three of them because good things come in threes. The first one is a couple of raiders in a buggy. It's not exactly the Prussian Iron Cross on the front of their vehicle. It's a bit more rounded than it really should be. But one of them is clutching a bow and some arrows, and he gets out of the buggy, no problem. The other one, he's got this sort of scrapyard halberd, and he shifts to get out of the buggy, and it looks like he kind of lodges himself and gets stuck a little bit. <laughs> he never actually steps out of the vehicle in the shot that we're watching so i imagine he probably like hooked his helmet on the roof of the vehicle or he got his foot stuck around that gigantic steering wheel that's in that buggy it was kind of funny better to, to give up and just be stuck than try and get yourself unstuck and like 
fall out of the car. <laughs> exactly. On camera. Because they're not going to be able to use that shot anyways. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Hopefully. They don't put a shot of you falling out of the car in the movie. We get the buggy, and then the next one we see is a couple of raiders in front of, like, a red pickup truck. This pickup truck is going to factor in later because it's got some, like, spear gun shooters on the back. It's called the snake truck. We'll talk about that one later when it actually is moving. But these are kind of a different group of raiders within the horde. They've got more uh, shoulder pads. The main dude out front has, like, a pink mohawk and kind of these bug eye goggles as far as the third group it's a larger group where it's more off to the side of the lord humongous's vehicle there is a scout strapped to one of the cars and we get a really good look at some key players here for one off to the left we've got bear claw mohawk who's played by guy norris he's going to pester max in some pretty important ways later on in the movie you've also got a guy who's dressed up as one of the bad cops and he's holding a cleaver to one of the captured scouts but what stood out to me about this shot specifically is if you look in the background you got a bunch of ladies i did notice throughout this scene that covers a couple of minutes i did notice more women than we've seen in a while Mm -hmm. there's one woman in particular she's the one wearing the leather with the torn off sleeve and she's got the eye patch and the long red hair and she's got one of those little wrist mounted crossbows and she's just like standing up on her motorcycle pointing the crossbow at the compound and i'm like that's awesome it's their version of the warrior woman (laughs) exactly she's like the anti-warrior woman (laughs) we don't get three shots of marauders we get four because there's one more shot of a couple of masked dudes standing on top of the lone wolf So as we saw that first big group and this second pair by the lone wolf, we hear a voice from off screen, and it is the toady who says, Greetings from the humongous, the Lord Humongous, the warrior of the wasteland, the Ayatollah of rock and roll. Okay, first things first, the pronunciation of humongous. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. I have always said humongous, but he clearly says humongous. And I have heard other people... Mostly guests that we've had on previously say humongous. What, what, what is it? Is it humongous? It's not often that I will stand at the top of a metaphorical hill and plant my flag, but I'm going to do that and I'm going to say it's humongous. Okay. It's our podcast. If that's what we want to (laughs) say is the correct pronunciation in our world. That is how I am going to pronounce it. Okay. You could argue that as long as you say mungus at the end, it's fine. You can go huh or hue or whatever. I go with humongous. You can go with humongous. Okay. I like humongous. I think humongous is a little on the nose. Yeah. Yeah, So, Lord humongous, (laughs) I think it just sounds better. And I think I'm biased because I've always said it that way. I'm not even sure how I started saying it that way. Because Mad Max has always been, in one form or another, it's always just been there in Mm -hmm. my life. So I can't pinpoint (laughs) when I started hearing people say humongous and when I started saying it myself. It's pretty easy to think of how he got the nickname of humongous because he is a huge dude. Yes. With huge muscles. Yes. And he shows off those muscles. We talked about his outfit a little bit. Yes. In minute 15 when we first got a glimpse of him at a distance. Mm -hmm. Well, we get a full body shot of him in this minute, and then I think it's going to be on Thursday, although it might be on Friday. We get a very good display of his physical capabilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we get a a really really nice vertical tracking shot from his knees all the way up to his face. You get to to see a lot of this guy. Obviously, he's humongous. He is a large guy. It makes sense. And then the toady tax on the Lord Humongous. He is 
not just an ordinary man. He is a man of stature and position. A lord has lands that he is in charge of. They say either tomorrow or the day after, I can't quite remember, that the humongous rules the wasteland. He is the lord of all he surveys. And that's illustrated where the toady says the warrior of the wasteland. When it comes to combat, you can assume that there ain't nobody better than the lord humongous. How else could he subjugate all that space? I find it interesting that the term warrior is used to describe both Max and the Lord Humongous. Mm -hmm. That was done. It was a purposeful choice to use that word to describe both of them and over something specific. For Max, it's the road. For Humongous, it's the wasteland. Right. It's kind of like they've, through the process of this movie, they, they stake their claims. Hmm. Max proves that he is better at the road, and the Lord Humongous proves and has proven that he is warrior over, that he is the best at the wasteland. I don't want to get too cerebral with this, but when you think of the road, you think of a paved surface, a pathway to somewhere. The road is a a memory of the world that was, but at the same time, it's a symbol of travel because roads form when a lot of people go over the same spot and the earth gets worn down. Mm-hmm into kind of a hard-packed surface. So the road represents progress, progression from point A to point B, progression from anarchy to civilization. The road warrior is a warrior of progress. Yes. The wasteland is not that. The wasteland is vast. The wasteland is dead. Nothing grows there. A warrior of the wasteland is a champion of decay. And Mm. some would argue the antithesis of the road warrior, where the road warrior is constantly moving forward. The warrior of the wasteland is meandering around, preying on the weak that get caught in its clutches. Very interesting. He's also described as the Ayatollah of rock and roll. <laughs> I'm not sure how much we can really read into the warrior of the wasteland because he's also the Ayatollah of rock and roll, which, as I said before, makes no sense. I mean, it's a kick-ass name. Anybody who can claim that name is must be pretty awesome. Plus, it rhymes. So I typed out <laughs> Ayatollah and I right-clicked on it and I said, Google, define this. And so Google said... Ayatollah is a noun. If you want to pluralize it, it's Ayatollahs. It is a Shiite religious leader in Iran, which makes sense because as we learned from Billy Joel, you've got Ayatollahs in Iran and Russians in Afghanistan. I've had that song stuck in my head since prepping this minute. (laughs) I also did a little bit of digging on the term Ayatollah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once again, it's a word that we pronounce differently than the toady pronounces it. I say Ayatollah. He says Ayatollah. Yeah. I think you can go either way. Yeah. I Honestly, I say Ayatollah because that's how Billy Joel says it. <laughs> yeah. That one I can pinpoint. I know exactly how I know how to say that word. Okay. There's a wrestler uh, in the WWE and many, many, many other organizations. He's everywhere. Is Chris Jericho. Okay. And one of his many nicknames is Ayatollah Rock and Rolla. Okay. I can't say I ever crossed paths with wrestling at all. No, neither do I. I find it, I don't know, embarrassing. <laughs> I tried to watch um, some of his his uh, fights, his performances, and I just couldn't. I was like cringing. And I know it, it. people love wrestling and kudos for enjoying that entertainment. I just can't handle it. Wrestling is a unique performance art that has very in-depth storylines. And yes. the performers are all very physical. They do some amazing physical feats. Wrestling at times can be a little intimidating, 
for people that are trying to get into it because they have such long start? and extensive storylines. Right. It's you like, can't go back to season one of wrestling and catch right. up on the storyline. You just have to jump in and try and get in there. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like a it's like trying to join a soap opera. Exactly. For the first little while, you're gonna have no idea what's going on, and then you'll figure it out over time. We watched Glow, which is a Netflix original show about the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, a yes. show that actually existed in the eighties. Glow is not necessarily a documentary about it, but they actually straight up say at one point in the show, oh my gosh, it's a soap opera. Yes, they do. They do draw that comparison. Mm -hmm. Granted, the performers in wrestling do things that performers in soap <laughs> operas could never hope to do. I tip my hat to people who decide to do wrestling as like a career mm -hmm. or anything like that because- It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hard work and oh my gosh, the results are breathtaking of what they're able to pull off. Yep. So cool. Chris Jericho is actually on hiatus from wrestling right now. Mm. Uh, he's currently on tour with his band, Fozzie. Okay. Uh, he's the lead singer, which is probably how he got the name Ayatollah Rock and Roller, because mm. he's also a rock and roller. See, it makes sense for him. It has some connection to his persona, whereas the Lord Humongous that we know has no connection to his persona. One thing that would really help with the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller would be if the Lord Humongous used those speakers on his truck to blast rock and roll music. I suppose. Because as we learned, the Ayatollah is a religious leader. There are some people that say that music is a very religious experience. And if he, as the leader of the Horde, represents the idea of rock and roll or maybe the religious leader of the cult of rock and roll because you look at all the people in this horde and they look like the type that would listen to a lot of rock and roll music yes and so if he is the provider of the music yeah they would follow him an ayatollah in the religious context is someone who's very learned mm -hmm. this is from um just the wikipedia on the on ayatollah those who carry the title are experts in islamic studies such as jurisprudence quran reading and philosophy and usually teach in Islamic seminaries. So if you kind of equate that to rock and roll, the, that he has advanced knowledge mm -hmm. of rock and roll and that type of lifestyle, and he is a holder of that knowledge and a bestower of that knowledge. Yeah. I mean, we don't get to see it in the movie, but I imagine that truck would have like a killer tape deck. I would hope so. I know he needs the speakers for leadership to be able to talk to everybody, mm -hmm. but... You know, you got them. You might as well use them. Exactly. I am. What I just do you got? Of something. Okay. So the Doof Warrior. I was actually about okay. to. <laughs> Is like an evolution of this. Yeah, I was thinking of the Doof Warrior. I just didn't want to bring up Fury Road because we're so far away from Fury Road. Yeah, but, but it's it's fair to draw comparisons when you think of someone who uses music and rock and roll specifically to inspire and muster and mm -hmm. move his people. I mean, and in, Morton Joe does that with in the Doof, Fury Doof Road. Warrior. They expend a great amount of energy taking their stereo with them. So they must find it extremely important. You know, I was thinking of something back when we were talking about Lord Humongous's truck, how the black on black, you know, we met it in the first movie. And even in the first movie, you know, the last of the interceptors, it was it was this ideal car that people were almost in awe of. And then in this movie, we've seen the same thing happen. And certainly us as viewers, we're just tickled when we get to see the black on black. Right. Well, the black on black doesn't survive this movie, correct? Right. 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 So 
Lord Humongous's truck kind of takes that place. I don't know. I can't think of an example out of Thunderdome to support this, but I'm supporting it with the Doof Warriors car, where the idea of the the vehicle with the speakers going everywhere with the group is kind of taken to its next level in the Doof Warrior. Okay. We need an iconic vehicle because we're going to lose the black on black. So the music truck is kind of the replacement, I think. I do appreciate the parallel between the Lord Humongous's truck being a speakered vehicle and then Fury Road taking that to its logical extreme. Yeah. I appreciate the through line. I think at this point, I kind of planned to talk about the Toady and the Lord Humongous and kind of go through their IMDb stuff, but I feel like we can push that off until tomorrow. So let's put a pin in this. The Toady has introduced the Lord Humongous, and before the end of this minute, the Lord Humongous stands up and says, I am gravely disappointed. We are going to pick up tomorrow. We're going to introduce ourselves to Max Phipps. We're going to introduce ourselves to... Kiel Nielsen, after we're done talking about them, we'll get into the meat and potatoes of the Lord Humongous's address to the people in the compound. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 31 of the Road Warrior. See you tomorrow.